properly and correctly. Pomplemousse is how I say it, you know. Not that that's correct, it's just what I like doing, because I'm ridiculous, I think. But hello, everyone. Um, I guess it's kind of sort of, of an introduction, because here I am talking to you by myself while I waited for Brian to come back with a tasty beverage of their own. What you got there? Oh no! Tell the audience. I have I have a, a white Gatorade Zero, the low calorie uh, alternative, <laughs> zero calorie alternative. Man, is uh, it it's the sec second be second best color of Gatorade IMO. Yeah, definitely. Limon Papino would be my fave, but Number you can't get it in cases here. You can only get it in like the gas station, like one per. So I it's not a home beverage. It's a it's a road beverage. <laughs> No, see, so uh, I have actually seen the like little, the little oh. bottles of limon pepino in okay. my local grocer. So keep an I love eye it. out. Maybe it's a regional treat. Maybe you know. I think they know that here in New Mexico, it's just the uh, of all of the Gatorades, clearly the most uh, culturally relevant Gatorade flavor, and easily you know, the most refreshing as well. It's like I agree a burst agree. of. Man, it just clears that that dry palate. Here I am. I'm present. How did now. they do it? I don't know. Fitness science, beverage science. Beverage uh, science. That used know. to be part of the old Gatorade commercials, which is for some reason why I thought they were Coca-Cola in that previous episode. Um, I swear that like at the end, I saw like in my brain imprinted was like a Coca-Cola trademark or something, but apparently it was not. It was the uh, until then independent Gatorade company. Yeah, just uh, I think just the University of Florida, right? Correct. Yeah, it was originally developed for the Gators, I think. Mm -hmm. I remember in the '90s they had commercials either with old footage or recreated kind of old style footage where they're like, "Back in the '60s, we trained the Florida Gators with our delicious Gatorade beverage." I remember that. Yeah, they really loved. You Man. know, I was just thinking about, especially because a. Pulp Fiction popped in my mind when I was looking at pictures of uh, um, the couple from Greece. For some reason, is now escaping my mind. Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. I was thinking okay. about um, how in uh, Pulp Fiction, that's a very interesting setting that they put him in. Uh, I never thought about the relevance of his breakout role, or well, I guess you know his biggest okay. role in Greece, like being like <laughs> very relevant to the '50s, like uh, throwback diner scene in the movie. I never put that together until I was just reading an article yeah. by Olivia Newton-John. Aww. Mm -hmm. Rip. Lovely lady. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Um, was doing it till the end. She was working working up to like, uh, to the very end. It's very... Wow. Very respectable. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. And I feel like that's the kind of job that you want to be working at when you're you know an older person because acting sounds like such a fun job yeah you know acting music that kind of thing sounds like a fun job you know not like that like there's that viral story of the 99 year old woman who's still working at chick-fil-a and shit and it's like no Yikes. that's disgusting yeah like she, she, she that's awful yeah acting at any age is still going to be escapism from real life so even the job itself is kind of like some freedom from reality yeah and then you get handlers, you have like craft service, they like worship you, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. That's not happening to the 99 year old lady at Chick fil A. I'm reading you know? the article They're, right now. Oh, it's awful. Um, 
Could you imagine being a Christian company and being okay with that? It's disgusting. No, especially the fact that they go out of their way to label themselves as such and then, you know, like uh, collecting that's, all the artifacts. It's, yeah, it's that's right. Like, like, at, like at least like Arby's doesn't have any fucking moral high ground. They're just trying to sell you a roast beef, you know, like exactly. whatever. <laughs> they just want to cover it in cheddar and toss it your way. That's it. <laughs> Some horsey sauce on your way. <laughs> that's what I want, really. I just want all the sandwiches to be covered in that. Wow. Yeah, uh, she is the example. We want our young kids to be, what, like 100-year laborers? Like, that's not great. That's could not... you imagine? Could Like, if I were a reporter, I would have been like, cool, you want your kid working at 99 years old? That's what you want for your kid? Or you. Like, how about, like, would you, like them, like the person, yeah, it's all. And, of course, the answer is no. They don't no. want that for themselves or their own children, right? And someone else's child who's going to be working at 99 years old her right? co-workers like, the person writing the article anyone else like down the line who's editing it um any other person who ever reads it no one will want to be in her position and that tells you what you need to know yeah yeah um disgusting yeah Awful. i'm gonna close this local news article because man wh wherever kwtx is happening uh waco texas not not um all bad stories what are we looking at here so no, there's there's good news out of Waco. <laughs> let me let me reopen the tab. <laughs> let me give you a good one. Let's see. Hold on. There has to be right. There has to be like a back to school drive. How about <laughs> Kathy? Let me give you this one. Yeah. Victim who coughed up, then swallowed bullet after he was shot in the head. Expected to testify in alleged gunman's trial. That's that was the first thing I saw. That's pretty badass. That's some weekly world news headline shit right there. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for something that's like the the cat festival on the Waco page. You know what? That's not what we seeing should a cat do. festival article. Yes, we should we should gather mm -hmm. all of the weekly world news style headlines mm -hmm. that are totally real, uh -huh. and we should name it or like we should develop this as like one of these like subscribable newsletters yes. or, or whatever, and it should be like. The real, not fake, weekly world news. And it's all links to real, quote-unquote, real stories. Because, again, how do we know? How often, do, how often do they publish? How often do we have to go pick up issues? Um, I think that's a great question. I feel like if I think about it realistically with my workload, mm -hmm. um, I think we could do this maybe like a monthly thing. We okay. like accumulate them Collect them month. until we have enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I feel I feel like that's that's an aspirational goal. I think I like that, that. Um, you know, well, I think that's right. This is live project oh management. God. I love this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I mean, because I'm because I'm 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 trying to like balance my life because as a like as a just as a result of life or whatever, I'm doing a lot of traveling this month. And yeah. to be quite honest, I'm a little nervous about it because okay. like because tra traveling. You know, yeah, it's, it's, weird. it's still weird. To I me. like I'm a very much a routine person, so I like to be in routines. And when I'm not, I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I get totally like. I, I, have you ever read Franz Kafka's The Burrow? No, 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 okay. I'm not. It's it's great. It's my favorite story of his um, that involves uh, living in the point of view of an animal that Ooh. is not human. And there's quite a few. It's like a whole deal he has. I'm reading you know? the top of the wiki here. Yeah, I'm gonna leave the rest for actual reading it itself. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Anyway, I turn into that little creature. So there's a little creature that's essentially the protagonist of the burrow, and I turn into that creature when I'm out of my routine. 
And for that matter, I am that little creature even when I am in my routine. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's just it's more at ease when I'm in my routine. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's all bonkers for me now. Come and check this out. This is it was unfinished, written six months before his death. Interesting. I'm going to I'm going to seek this out. <clears throat> I love uh, when I read um, as, as many most people do in high school, you end up reading like, what is it? Uh, Metamorphosis. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is like the first thing I read. One of the first things I read in, in school where I was like, wow, this is like on the edge of like what I imagine. This is like grotesque in a way. And then I remember <laughs> later the teacher being like teaching us the vocabulary word for like grotesque, literally. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Cool. Gothic. That's All awesome. right. I get yeah. it. <laughs> Ooh, I'm goth. Now I'm goth. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's goth what this now. means? This is meant a thing? <laughs> um, imagine the kids' faces when they heard the word, the teacher say the word goth <laughs> or gothic. Oh my god. Yeah. That's, right. Yeah. So. The one kid in the Susie and the Banshees teacher in the corner <laughs> is like scoffing, like, Psh. They're not goth. Our teacher was the one bringing in the Kate. She was played the Kate Bush song for us uh, uh, for um, Macbeth. Macbeth. Oh, Weathering Heights. Excuse me. Weathering Heights. That's it. Weathering Heights. (laughs) Yep. She was a great teacher. She was the one that I ran into. She was the one that I randomly ran into. We were on like a summer trip and it's completely unorganized, totally random. And and, uh, we were in front of... uh, uh, the Uffizi, I think it was. And uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know who she was, but these other kids that were in my group, you know, had just had her and had just graduated high school and were like, oh my God, Mrs. whatever her name was. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, we stumbled into her in a foreign country. She was not part of our traveling group or anything. We just randomly wow. came just across quiet. who would be my next year English teacher just in That's Europe. wild. Yeah, it was extremely so crazy. I have two very amazing uh, stories about teachers and music that they would play for us. So the first one is that my calculus teacher was awesome. And uh, you know how like when you take an AP class, you're actually done like a few weeks before all of your peers. Yep. Cause the test is like earlier or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And then you have just a couple of weeks where if you're in an AP class, you're either ditching or you're like, just like, Oh yeah. What doing whatever the fuck you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So so we're in that moment in our AP calculus class, and it's like our senior year, you know. And my calc teacher, who is amazing, absolute inspiration to me, awesome, uh, personally, right? Yeah, cool. He was like, "All right," he's like, "Well, while you guys are doing whatever stupid shit you're doing, he's like, I'm gonna put on this video," and it was like a video of like fractals, right? Because yeah. calculus students, <laughs> and he's like, "And I'm gonna go ahead and just put on a bunch of Pink Floyd in the background." <laughs> <laughs> and all the other kids are like, this is normal, right? And I'm and I'm I'm the one, right? Again, you can see as I'm sitting here in my tie-dye t-shirt that I'm like, I'm the one sitting there looking at him going, Yeah, okay. I see you. I see you, dude. I see you. My um math studies teacher, which was the highest math that I ever took, which was basically a combo of pre-calc and statistics. Um, his name was Mr. Conover. And he was uh he is I don't know what his deal is now. I mean, maybe he lives on Pine Island still. Maybe he passed away. I can't actually remember. My friend, um, one of my friends I grew up with, uh, loves him. And, and for a very similar reason, uh, de- decoded that he was like a cool guy in his real life. <laughs> like into normal people things and not just like a regular Being an adult. math teacher. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, the other ridiculous <laughs> music story also happened in an AP class. It happened in my AP government class. But... 
in this moment, it was because we had a substitute, right? So okay. our AP government teacher was used to like challenging us as, you know, little, you know, smart ass dipshits are want to be, right? So we get this substitute teacher who comes in like, hey, your teacher basically said to ignore you. <laughs> and we're like, yeah. Like we're all like self-sufficient. Like you're not no one no one in this class is gonna act up. Like we're all gonna like none of us are risking going to the principal's office for any reason whatsoever, mm -hmm. right? Like it's an AP class, right? We're also all really intelligent. Like there's mm -hmm. a one kid in the corner, like with the Wall Street Journal and shit, right? Like mm -hmm. they're just like, leave me alone, guy. Like I, I'm not here to just do like heads up seven up or whatever, right? Yeah. So he just so the substitute teacher, however, I guess through in some of the other periods actually had to do a lesson plan. And so he was like a bit of a loss with our class when we were like, nah, leave us alone. Like we got work to do. We're like studying for a test or some shit, like whatever. And um so he decides to be cool and he uh he was a very goth looking guy, by which I mean that at this time in the late nineties, he looked very cyberpunk. Yeah, okay. He had like a he had like a black duster. He had like oh, long damn. hair and like wow. he, he looked like he was out of the Matrix and shit. I cool. don't even think the Matrix was out yet, by the way. That I makes him extra out. cool. That makes yeah, him like on the bleeding whatever. edge. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And uh, so he decides to he wheels out the typical mm. late nineties big giant TV cart, right? And uh, <laughs> the one where my teacher put on Field of Dreams, but what did he put on? He put on a VHS of uh, Jean Michael Jarre live <coughs> in Egypt. Whoa, <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, that was no, not even remotely what I expected. So, so now imagine a classroom full of fucking like AP normies. Okay. They're all like, like, I think the biggest band at that time in 1999, like whatever the fuck we were listening to was like, definitely not Jean-Michael Jarre. Right. Like, so like, so, but there's like a handful of us in the classroom who yet again are like, you know, a little hip and with it to the extent that we're all like, okay, dude, why are you fucking putting on Jean-Michael Jarre live in Egypt right now? Like, this is really weird. Like, <laughs> like you could literally put on anything. We're a government class. There's like a, there's like a fucking whole spectrum of films you could put on that are like tenuously related to the study of history. You literally couldn't, and I guess it was just gotta, gotta look at the pyramids of Egypt, like lit up really cool with Jean-Michael Jarre's. I had know. a teacher... I had a teacher show me, I'm trying to remember, it was in UCF. I had a teacher show me, I swear he showed me like a collection of either music videos or some kind of production. <sighs> Criterion has this collection of like music, like the, have you seen the, um, I don't know, maybe it isn't Criterion. There's a, a Michael oh, the, like, Gondry. Oh, the Gondry. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, apparently we had some of the same teachers. <laughs> Like spiritually. Well, I didn't see that one. Yeah, but the I Michael mean, Gondry one, that one is that Criterion though? Uh, maybe. I don't but, think so, but it was okay. some other shit. But I had a teacher. Like, there's in... like a Spike Jones one. Too. Yep. Yeah, we did those. Yeah, I had a film studies teacher play those for us, and and that was our uh, credit was to like sit in class and watch the whole thing. I was like, holy shit! That like changed my mind. Two two of those back to back. One, I already loved Chiba Amato, and they made and he uh, Michael Gondry made a Chiba Amato music video. So I was like, oh my fucking god i didn't even know this guy made this, this is crazy i'm learning i'm having the moment well, that the teacher wants cool. me to have yeah i'm having right. that moment i'm having the 
Danielle Lindemann teaching reality television to teach sociology moment. I was having right. that moment, yeah. <laughs> well, if our substitute teacher thought that we would all turn into Jean-Michael Jarry fans, that's <laughs> a bad news for You don't own a keyboard? You don't own a synth? <laughs> Let alone, like, 12 of them set up in front of me or yeah, whatever the fuck that guy had going on. Yeah, like, like Playing like, them above you. And <laughs> yeah, like, rock me, Amadeus, indeed, Jesus Christ. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I, wow. Well. Anyway, it was really, it was, but it was fascinating. I was, it was fascinating. Just the weirdest fucking thing. Like, just. I love this. I love this. There's, there isn't quite a joy I get like doing this podcast and being able to <laughs> laugh about the strange oddities that someone would put media that people would put in front of us <laughs> to subject us to and be like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This changed well, my I life. Mean, you know, I mean, like, it's funny because like we're, we're joking about it. Right. But like yeah. this, this has been a kind of regular topic of discussion where people are like, Ooh, I can't believe like kids are only barely finding out about kid Kate Bush because of stranger things. And I was like, you're so fucking upset about it. Why weren't you listening to Kate Bush with the youngsters on your own? Being like, hey, let me, let, let's check out some cool, why don't you go to a fucking girls and boys club and play some Jean-Michael Jarre live in Egypt VHS videos at them if it's that important. Yeah, were they, were they mad like, about people my age getting into Nirvana even at like once Kurt Cobain was like not even really an artist or dead you know by the right. time i was in middle school like yeah like there was, we there were was all in nirvana stuff viral too of like somebody like commented on like a metallica video like "Ooh, sorry all the fake stranger things fans are here and metallica is like uh what are you talking about they're buying our albums and Fuck you like, not to mention yeah the number one thing they want and also they love right. selling vinyls and metallica loves selling vinyls so um, right? Yeah, like, exactly. It's just so stupid. Kids like, started oh, buying hope... music again. That's why they love those kids. Right? Oh, I hope my favorite band dies in poverty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I hope, Nap I hope Napster really did it to Lars. I hope when I saw that documentary and he was upset that I hope his life was <laughs> ruined by the no, kids. No, I mean, I mean, sure. A couple of them, sure. Yeah, like, especially no. with shit like that, right? Yeah. But, like, but it, it's it kind of gets to the point, right? Like, I don't know, Lars. I don't know if kids these days would be listening to you if they hadn't also been all over the internet, right? Like, one hundred percent. How much did any of us learn any of that shit? Like, I can, I can, I mean, I could say all kinds of dumb, stupid facts about like music going back to like the last century, all because of the internet. And I bought, without that, yeah. no way. And I bought tickets for Metallica and Van Halen without ever having owned an album by them. Only because I had downloaded their songs. So both of those bands made a few hundred bucks off of never even having to buy anything from them before. So. Oh, you're a real fan, huh? <laughs> name, name, name five of the Eagles' greatest hits. Uh, let's see. Well, obviously Hotel California. Let's One. See. Oh, uh, what? Uh, hold on. Life in the Fast Lane. Two. Okay. Um, see, this is in hard, a New actually. York minute. That's one. New York minute, right? Okay, three. Um, that's still New York minute. Hold on. <laughs> um, let me let me keep. See, so I yeah, mean, I can't even do it. That's a joke, right? But yeah. like, I mean, Jake's <laughs> been subjected to the Eagles on classic rock. We should be able to name like literally every song on the Eagles' greatest yeah. hits, and yet we can't. That right? album like, is still the number one selling album of all time. The greatest hits of that live album, Hell Freezes Over. So I don't even know how. Isn't it? 
It must be. Yeah, I think so. It's like I think still is. It's like that in the Bible. <laughs> and it beat out it beat out like Thriller or something like that, which is <laughs> another untouchable. You can't become that popular okay. again. <laughs> so like so like even take that as an example. Could you name every song on Thriller? I couldn't. I think I've Three. been listening to that album Three since I was a child. Yeah, yeah there's ten like, songs. I know that. I think there's ten. I could probably sing along to most of them even, but I yeah. couldn't name them off the top at this exact moment. So I guess I'm. PYT thriller and yeah exactly Kathy and can you repeat that for me please (laughs) yep I'm gonna keep keep naming those songs I'm gonna start naming R. Kelly songs if we don't stop (laughs) 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 let's let's just stop all our head Uh, (laughs) oh yeah well can you name any of Bill Cosby's albums Oh, uh, <laughs> ones like peanut butter for breakfast or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, well, I watched yeah, that well, documentary well. recently, and I remember one had an abs- like totally absurd name like that. Um, let's see. What a, what a, what an awful world we live in. Yeah, where the people we name, we grew up as kids, we're like, yeah, I love that guy. I love that guy. Nothing could ever go wrong with him. He's such a you know, A plus star. And then, I mean, just so many taken in these unfortunate toilet explosion That's, accidents. I'm glad you, you said know, it first. Again, yep. Just, <laughs> oh <laughs> the dangerous toilets just exploding everywhere yes may may may, may a toilet never explode on me I, I don't feel much at risk personally but you know they sit on that toilet and everything inside of it starts moving at the speed of light uh, denoted as c um and uh, they die instantly it's horrible this is today's featured article on wikipedia in case you're wondering the abbreviation for the speed of light being the letter c um <laughs> So we had some topics prepared for today. Um, oh, we we sure could did. talk about those. You don't have to. Let's go through some of them. Let's okay. go through some of them. All right. So I've been watching the show that you've been watching, and you've been watching the show that I've been watching, Kathy. It's called uh, The Rehearsal, right? Let's try that one again. The Rehearsal. No, the I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, Kathy, if I was going to talk you into talking about this, would I have started like that, or should I have practiced a different way- method of <laughs> introducing you to the topic? I feel like I simply would have started by bringing up, hey, have you heard of this Nathan Fielder guy? And I would have been like, oh, yeah, I think he's really dreamy. I'd do anything to, uh, you know, be in a house with him and pretend to raise a child together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I mean, I feel like he was reading my dream journal <laughs> when he created and developed this show. And I don't even know how that concludes yet. I mean... I mean, I do, because obviously he's been reading my dream journal. Oh, oh that's right. So you, you, oh, I love <laughs> yeah, this. This is wonderful. Kathy? Yeah, no, my dream journal has been a rehearsal for Nathan <laughs> Fielder's show, The Rehearsal. I thought about that a little bit. I did have a moment of, let's call it, mild fantasy, where I was watching and I was like, there's a chance that any one of us watching this television show at home could be the potential finish line for this documentary. Um I mean, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like this is every time he well, backs well, out farther, I get more confused about where it could end. I I, I love it so much, <laughs> and I was also struck by um, Nathan's love of reality TV, right? Because yeah. his uh, I mean, obviously Nathan for you is kind of set up in that way in the first place, right? right. And then even within Nathan for you, right? They'll have like challenges and shit, right? Like he makes the 
people climb a mountain to be able to get the gas rebate. Like there's something that feels very survivor inspired by that, right? You have the hunk when he has his bachelor dating show, which is very reality, right? But now you have this, which feels like some kind of weird combo of like wife swap, but also like, um, uh, like house flippers, kind of. Yes. Like, uh, it's like the closest thing I can get to. The wife showing swap. how they like make this shit and they like plant the fake vegetables. The planting the fake vegetables, that fake busted up vegetable garden in episode three, I think it was, had me like dying. I was, when the oh, sprinklers was... are like 10 feet above the ground and just like going crazy. That's one of the best visual gags. And I imagine, I don't know if like he himself finished the project or if it was just pictured as if he started it. Whatever, however, the production staff, perfect. I could look at a gif of that and just laugh probably for five minutes. It's just funny as shit. Like, just, just, yeah. We went I back and looked at it, it again because it was so funny. <laughs> I, Genius. Well, yeah, when she was picking up the, like, when she was picking all of the shit in the garden and like just putting it in her basket, like yeah, it was pulling an the zucchini, garden, pulling like, the zucchini just... from the dirt, like with the tops, where, which, you know. <laughs> Clearly, this is. I mean, listen. There's. A, I'm not gonna say anything about that lady because clearly she's got her own issues going on. Um, but uh, that was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment in television history. Her picking up well, those zucchinis. But I'll also say this, right? It's mm -hmm. how we trick ourselves. We do this to ourselves all the time. We trick ourselves into thinking that we're like. I mean, how many it's people picked up garden? I mean, except in maybe a different direction, right? How many people picked up gardening in the pandemic and, like, actually killed everything that they planted? No offense to y'all, friends. Like, I know that because, like, I, I lived with someone who was, like, an actual gardener, and she was like, hey, do you want to, like, try to grow things? I'm like, it looks hard, dude. Like, <laughs> I like you got to, like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I I'm, I'm all for it. Want to show like, you? Here, we should give it a shot. But, I have, like my marigolds right now, only half of them are alive. I have this little um, clipping I clipped off of like one of those succulents, and I made the little. Th I put it in the little glass so the roots would grow out, and I put it in dirt, and that was that was all I could do. But I, I'm very yes. proud of it. I water it uh, just frequently enough. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me show you this because you're you're actually in the perfect spot for it. Okay, okay. so here I am at my computer. Okay, okay. I'm gonna tilt my webcam up, and you're gonna see I have a. Uh, yep. I have a, uh, oh, a yeah. skylight, okay? Do you okay. see those little succulents? I do. They are not real. They oh. are completely fake. And that is because I know <laughs> that I can't even take care of real cactus succulents <laughs> in the desert, okay? Stay right here. Hold on. <clears throat> I live in New Mexico and I kill cactuses, okay? So I, this is my confession. <laughs> This is my for the audience at home again. who is this is I love how this is a visual this is a this is a visual medium for Kathy. This is my little plant. I grew him from a little seedling. This is it. I'm so proud. That's that's all I got. I just wanted to show you. I'm see the magic comes through for the audio. See? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Everyone at home knows I actually went outside my sliding glass door and grabbed this plant. <laughs> there we go. So. Oh, it's really too much. It's really too uh, much. So let's see. Um, we were talking about the show. Yeah, so the biggest thing that I, uh, I I took away from that show, and we've only seen, I think, half it. I think there's six episodes total. Um, 
without spoiling anything, is that if you practice anything enough, now you don't have to be in like Nathan Fielder's program. I mean, take all his tips, of course, but man, he he has created a formula that in a micro scale you could use for like any kind of thing you're preparing for, a job interview. I mean, that was kind of initially his, his concept was preparing for a, like a job mm-hmm. interview. But I think that there's something to be said, and I'm sure that reality television shows also use scenarios, not exactly like that, but prepare for scenarios by simulating kind of, or okay. at least talking it out, like what could happen. And I think that okay. there's that kind of approach to uh, many things is completely uh, untapped. Like, um, you know, it's like doing a heist, except you're not stealing anything. You're just trying to do something. And I think mm-hmm. that <laughs> there is... Um, there's a lot of fun to be had in filming a project like that, uh, not just Nathan's. Like I think anyone filming something like that could have a quite a time. This could be a, a subgenre of reality television if, they, if people really wanted to make it. So there are two thoughts, or maybe I should say two phrases that come to mind, right? Yes. Uh, immediately. Yes. Uh, one is practice makes perfect. Absolutely, yes. And the other one is fake it till you make it. That's my, yes. <laughs> and and uh, this is the thing. Like, I, I genuinely believe that, um, that it, it's like a combo of both, mm-hmm. right? Like, fake it till you make it means, like, I mean, to me, right? right. Uh, when I was a teacher, right, I had so much insecurity about, like, oh, my God, are these students going to take me seriously? Right. Are they going to, you know, whatever? Um, and there was there was a sense of like, oh, but I've never, you know, especially when I was a young teacher, I was like, oh my god, but I've never really done this before, and I may be good at math, but you know, I don't I don't really know how to fucking run a classroom. That's a completely different skill, you yeah. know. And it's like I don't know. So I and a bunch of my teacher friends, mentors, elders, mm-hmm. experienced educators would say, just fake it till you make it. And what it meant was like, no, but like. But you have like what what it needs like like you're an adult in the room they're gonna kind of automatically not grant you authority they're kind of gonna already kind of automatically give it to you and it's kind of yours to lose at that point yeah like they've had other teachers before so they know what some expectations are and they'll grant those to you right that's right um and then you know you just you know what they would say is but you still have to kind of be honest because you're gonna be like hey i'm kind of new at this shit so you're actually more experienced at being a student than I am experienced at being a teacher. So uh, you may actually have feedback for me, but you still have to kind of fake it till you make it again. Right. Because it's still like, but I'm still the authority figure. So we're going to go ahead and go through the charade that I'm the expert here. Right. But it's kind of humbling. It's kind of nice. Right. But, um, but it's true. That's why you make a lesson plan. Right. Yeah. You're essentially making a rehearsal and you say to them, hey, we're all going to be in this improvisational room here together. This is the plan. The Wi-Fi might go down, in which case this script goes out the window. Right. Yeah. And that that's true. Right. And that's true. Like the copier wasn't working today. My script now out the window. Right. So but we know basically how this shit's supposed to go. So we're going to we're all going to just keep chugging along here because. Yeah. This one contestant on the price of Price is Right might have bombed it, but the rest of the show basically carries on. I know how Plinko works. I know how the fucking guess the highest prize number, the highest price item on the out of a group of ten works, right? Like I know how those yes. games work. So the show can still go on. Yeah. Um, 
Speaking of, I, I was just uh, over the, over this week um, watching kind of random episodes of game show television, kind of just to get my feet wet in the other aspects of reality television that we haven't even really covered yet, which is game shows. I mean, which are definitely reality television shows. But I was kind of getting into the fun ones, especially the fun, the classics that everyone loves and has fun time talking about and enjoying. And um, got into The Price is Right first, kind of because we were just on YouTube and I came across, it was recommended to me, something I had seen before was the documentary about, it was called, uh, let me look it up real quick just so I can have it for the audience. The Price is Right documentary with the dude, there we go, Netflix, about guy who won is literally... (laughs) Uh, Perfect Bid, The Contestant Who Knew Too Much. It's on Netflix. It's an hour and 12 minutes. A nice cut little thing. It's originally made for something else, but um, I remember watching it back in the day when it first came out. I believe 2017 is when it was first cut. And um, it's about Theodore Slauson. He is a man who um, was in love with Price of Right from around the age of seven or eight, I think. And he he says this all in the documentary, but he's a, he's a lifelong fan, a big-time lover, appeared on the show many, many times. And although his uh, couple of appearances were, um, you know, uh, kind of mediocre appearances on The Price is Right, he was able to coach a number of others to success just from the audience by being an obsessive fan. And when I mean obsessive fan, I don't just mean obsessive fan watches every episode, records them all, whatever. He literally wrote software to simulate the game, the pricing games in the game itself on a computer as early as like DOS. So he was trying to program this for a long time. Now, he is a programmer by trade. He develops math tests, actually. Um, But he used his programming skills to create a perfect kind of, I mean, they show, they they even in the making of the documentary, they compare clips of the real show to his pricing schedules, and it all matches up. It's quite amazing. And um, he was able to use his software to prepare and uh, practice everything. And he eventually was able to know the price almost to the dollar of every item. So whenever he would go to The Price is Right, he would shout out the numbers. And um, someone ended up at the end, you'll see, there's someone that used that information and then basically pretended like he had nothing to do with it, which he was fine with. He's like, I don't care because I know that he did it. Everyone knows that he did it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Theodore Slauson is it, is it, I recommend watching it just to see Theodore and fall in love with Theodore. He's such a lovely personality. He's trying his best. He's like, he, he's wearing, um, he wears this shirt that says, uh, I'm here to kiss Holly. Sorry, Bob. Like, in other words, he was actually playing on Bob being like, it's, it's just perfect. Believe me. It's mm-hmm, when he makes the mm-hmm. appearance, Bob has the, like, oh, you're getting on me, aren't you? <laughs> like, it's, it's perfect. Um, love that. And the other thing that I would highly recommend, I mean, uh, before, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. What is your history of The Price is Right, Kathy? Um, what, how do you feel about The Price is Right? What are your, your thoughts and opinions on Bob Barker having oh. your pet spayed and neutered and his history in the world as a 98-year-old man? Still, still so, I, so I should say that I think my biggest regret about living in Los Angeles for as long as I did is that I never went to a taping of The Price is Right. Oh, Wow. I, so I, I feel like that's my biggest regret. Um, and I, I, I recognize that the show is still currently on. I think it's... Uh, Drew what's Carey. his name? Yeah, and that would be great. Uh, he's funny. Uh, the Drew Carey show was hilarious, I think, as far as, like, wholesome sitcoms Absolutely. go. Right? It was great. Yeah. Great shit, IMO, right? Um, Definitely. Loved uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? To Absolutely. Absolutely. Big, whose line Formulative stand. for American Again. comedy. Anyone who did improv yeah. after that was inspired by 
the fun mm-hmm. that they had on that show. It, ha- it has to be. So. And the way it was like family wholesome. Yes. Also, like I watched I it with am, my whole family. I, I have, one of the only shows that we all watched together. So I, I, I have a special place in my heart for wholesome comics uh, because I think it's uh, I, I think it always go it, I, if wholesome comics can make it happen. Right. It always goes back to this idea that like, uh, oh, like. Edge, you know, comedy needs to offend in order for it to be comedy. And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm like, literally, like America's funniest home videos. Yeah. Now, that said, right, of course, Bob Saget was Bob Saget and his stand up. And, you know, but like, it, it was like, I don't know, fine, whatever, it's fine. You know, like, did we tweet Bob about Saget this? It wasn't canceled. I don't think you and I have talked about uh, our t- love of. I, we tweeted about no no something. i i know that happened this week there was a big new thing about the with america's funniest home videos ring ring doorbell is doing a americans america's funniest home videos like side show that's all gonna be Awful. stuff recorded for yes yes Awful. quite yes but i like it's this terrible. i'm hearing some music yeah. this is great but yeah, so uh, The Price is Right. I think I always wanted to go to it. Always watched it. Of course, when I was a kid and you were able to, like, you know, stay homesick from school, it was always, like, a treat, you know? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I get to watch Plinko. Plinko, wish I could play Plinko. I also understand that there is a series of Price is Right, like, video game, not video game, like, actual, like, like there's, like, a, a Plinko you can buy that's, like, a, yes. like, a little connected, like, you can get a, like, game stores yeah. and shit like that it's like um pachinko but big <laughs> yeah i like that and and so I, I like part of me is like i would really like that part of me feels like a rube for wanting it but i you know whatever that, that's for me to deal with i'm probably gonna get it eventually but like again because my biggest regret is never taking a spin on that giant wheel what if um, what if uh hmm is there a way that we can because you, you can't get tickets to these things ahead of time. You have to like, get in line, basically. So I was thinking, like, if there's a way that you could, like, schedule, like, five, you know, TV show tapings in, like, one L.A. trip or something like that. But it all involves, like, kind of chance, typically, right? Well, I, I mean, I don't I don't know because, uh, in, I mean, and I haven't done it now, and certainly since I've lived there. And uh, But from what I remember, a lot of those shows you just, like, sent away for tickets. Okay. And you could just be like, yeah, like, I, I want to go watch a taping of... I mean, this is how my friends got um, tickets to um, that episode of Bill Maher. I think you and I have talked about mm-hmm. it when, you know, like, they had just, like, you know, hey, for tickets, right here, call here. Okay. You, they put you on a list, and you just tickets arrive i don't think you really get like a choice okay i mean that's what i remember is that they didn't like choose the dates they just got whatever was available and so they got like they requested four tickets they got four tickets right and so um then it was just like hey who's available that day okay (laughs) and i was so i just happened to be one of the folks that was like yeah i can go so that's uh, my dream trip to la is fitting in a a couple uh a couple (laughs) studio audience filmings mm-hmm. okay but i'm sure that i mean i feel like in this day and age there's probably a way to just book like hey i'm gonna be there on july 3rd i don't really give a shit what you're taping i'm just there to see a taping right i, I mean i feel like if you can do that with like restaurants and movie tickets now like why shouldn't you be able to do that shit with the prices right yeah you know Especially if they're all Hollywood, if you're listening, 
<laughs> television t- studio. Uh, what is it? Uh, television Web city. Web developer guys. People who live in Studio City. Um, yeah. Just yeah, shout this. Studio City. When you walk past the studio, just shout at them if you've, if you've heard what yeah. they said. Just to- toss a fucking, just toss like. Toss a, a note over the gate. Yeah, just like, like a little message in a bottle. They're like, hey, make more shows like Price is Right or just a little bit yeah. different. Yeah. Um, no, what a, what a great show. All, all of that shit I thought was great, you know? Yeah, Supermarket, supermarket sweep. sweep. Oh, we said it at the same time. That means mm-hmm. we loved it the same amount, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Family Feud, I just tweeted at you a picture of yeah. the fact that this weekend at the women's convention, yeah. which is where I was, um, there was a uh, there was a round of feminist family feud. And I then love there was this. A, a round of feminist Jeopardy. That was really cool. Yeah. Uh, um, tell me a little bit more about your experiences down there, if you have any um, you want to share. Yeah. Oh my gosh, quite a few. I mean, first of all, this was my first time back on a plane since the before times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So September will be mine. Uh, yeah. You know, it's scary, actually. It's scary, I think, just because I felt scared, right? Not because, like, it was it, it was it was the same mundane airport experience I yeah. think it always has been, really. Yeah. Um, if I'm honest with myself, it's just I had anxiety about it, again, because I'm the little creature in Franz Kafka's burrow. And so, um, but eventually, like, I kind of got over it. It was that first, like, kind of initial, like, <gasps> I'm doing this again. Yeah. Um, but then, like, uh, once I was on, the, I kept my mask on the entire time, I should add. I mean, okay. I should also add that, like, I, because of where I work and what I do, like, uh, our team has been pretty strict, even within ourselves still, about COVID protocols. I mean, we work pretty closely as a team, and mm. some of our some of our friends, family, like, extended circles are immunocompromised individuals, young children. So we're just, like... No, you're not going to get COVID because of me. Like, if yeah. you're going to get it, it's because somebody, something else in the world happened, but it's not because we, you know. Anyway, so, yeah. uh, so it's, it, that was also really weird to, like, be on a plane, like, surrounded by a bunch of people who were just yeah, going other about, people like, it's not, like, yeah. and I was just like, you know, when they come up and they're like, so do you want your fucking, you know, box of pretzels, your, your little bag of pretzels and your little drink i was like nah like this is only this flight's only like an hour and a half like get away from me why are you talking to me put your mask on yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i feel the same way kathy like uh yeah i'm getting on a plane soon and i'm, I'm having the same feelings where well I mean, i'm also going to a big city so that's that's something else completely separate that you just have to kind of deal with but no i mean and here i am on my way to houston to a convention right i mean yeah <clears throat> again we we ourselves uh, i i'm I know that whatever the COVID protocols were for the women's convention, the group I was with, we exceeded that. And again, because like we were traveling with like children and immunocompromised folks, like we were taking all these extra precautions. Um, We were testing ourselves every day. That was like above and beyond. We took like PCR tests before and after that was above and beyond, you know, but again, like I, uh, for my daily work, I work with people who are on like you know essential worker, frontline type of individuals, and so again, like I'm, I refuse to pretend that this shit's over. Like it's, that's called because it's not. There's a name for that, Kathy. It's called responsibility. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, but it does feel it does feel it does feel like it madness inducing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like even still, like I I still talk to all of my coworkers. like I'm going to be going. I didn't go into the office at all yesterday because I was waiting on PCR results. Hey, OK. You yeah. know, and like I, I still, you know, and then today when I, you know, I made sure to talk to all my coworkers individually just to be like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is where, you know, this is the size of the convention. This is what it was like and yeah. what we did. And hey, do you feel even comfortable with me coming in? Do you think I should just wait an extra day? Like, what are your thoughts? You know, and I couldn't imagine not doing that. Uh, with, and those are p- the people I love. I still couldn't even imagine doing that with the strangers that I get on the plane, right? Because that was also my thought. Like, I also work with people who may be exposed to it. Right. I don't want to give it to all these random strangers on a plane either, should I, God for Again, that's why we also test. It just, again, ooh, maddening, maddening. No, I, I, um, I have to be honest, like, because... I don't interact with as many people as you do on a daily basis. Um, I had kind of forgotten about all of that as like a aspect of daily life or, you know, the realities of it as, as a aspect of daily life, but uh, it's real. And yeah, when I travel, you know, I mean, I'll be back here when I come back, but like, no. yeah. Uh, funny. Hadn't thought about that, Yeah. but now but, I will be thinking about it know? for the correct reasons, not fearful, but respectful yeah. of the reality. Yeah. And so like, you know, we, I felt great going to the convention, came back, looking forward to seeing my coworkers later, you know, for this meeting we're having mm-hmm. and, you know, telling them about all the wonderful things I saw and experienced there. Cause yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. Right. And I, I, I tend to be sometimes cynical about things like women's conventions or yeah. ga- gatherings of leftist organizations. Like, I mean, and I, pro- I just laughed. I, I'm I, sorry. I, it's okay. You can say that because as someone who nonetheless participates in those things entirely earnestly and in good faith. As you smile I at think, me. <laughs> yes. Well, I, but it's true. I, I, I know I it's do. true. I know it's true. I trust <laughs> that it's true. I know that you're genuine. I know that you're just laughing because it's a funny. Because it's know. hilarious. And I'm no, smiling and hilarious. I can't. Yes. <laughs> but I'm very proud yeah. of you and I'm glad that this exists and I'm glad that people... That uh, have views can even uh, get together anymore, and this is all good. I'm I'm happy about this. I really yeah. Am. No, I, I had a great time, and I'm happy and, that you're uh, taking part of it because I trust uh, that you you have good views. So thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. You know, I mean, I'm part of this is because everything I learned, I learned because of reality TV. You I know? couldn't do this uh, with someone I don't trust, Kathy. So yeah, you know, I mean, here's what I'll also say, right? I I really truly believe that any revolution that takes itself too seriously, like that isn't having fun, like just really just doesn't it just really doesn't belong in this space, right? So I was actually kind of grateful that even in the middle of, I'll say the rage, right? Because it is the it is the uh, I'll say the summer of rage, you know, with what is going on with the Supreme Court and shit. Like it's easy to like and and it's easy to get lost in that. I I do this all the time. I talk about it all the time. I I tell my friends like you see y'all hear about the kind of shit that I deal with on the like on a daily basis. Like some of the worst situations like of like capitalism that I have to face every day. I'm like. And I, I still wake up hopeful every day, right? So, like, yeah. if I can do it, right? If I can fucking find the hope and the joy and the, like, fun and all of this, like, yeah, let's play some fucking family feud at the women's convention. Because, like, it's not all despair. It's not yeah. all anger. And it's not all fear. Like, there's, like, I don't know. Just, 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 I'm just, 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 just 
kind of overwhelmed at the whole deal. Yeah. You know? I mean, again, to, to talk about that too and like the sense of reality, right? Like it, it was also really interesting to be in those spaces and to think about how far feminism indeed has come, right? I mean, I I feel like there was something serendipitous about watching, rewatching the Monica Lewinsky impeachment thing uh, with my partner uh, like a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. right? Because even amongst him and myself, like we were able to have some of these like really complex conversations about like, well, how do you feel about the way that the women's movement or feminists or whoever treated Monica back then? I'm like, well, look at also who was doing that. It was other white women tearing each other down. Hillary stands, right? Like tearing down Monica, like, you know, where, where again, like, where is the responsibility in that? Like feminism tells us one, like, I think it's on the cheating husband. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, I'm thinking so about that's real complex. God, I've never even too. thought about that element. Yeah, I need to watch that because I'm sure that would help me. Um, you know, I didn't live through it. I mean, I did, but I was well young enough to not really. And the right wing, right? I mean, it was the yeah. right wing attacking. I mean, but it was the right wing more focused on Bill than it was Monica. Monica was collateral damage to the right, but and the right wing was to using the Democrats. The excuse of, everyone was mad at monica instead of being mad at linda tripp right <laughs> and uh and and i remember the right wing thing at the time was using what the morality case saying like we shouldn't have a president who does stuff like this that was like their thing that was yeah just in and general. it's like whatever yeah it's like what yeah, i'm yeah. like i actually i kind of do want a president who's getting his dick sucked yeah that tells me at least that he's gonna he's have less likely some to some moments press of the clarity button. after that yeah like <laughs> yeah just okay mm-hmm. let's just just just, cl- <laughs> let's just say clear heads shall prevail clear heads shall prevail aha i like it so i'm gonna open up our uh, text thing here and look at what else we had here <laughs> um so as clear heads prevail let's say uh let's i'm gonna press my luck and talk about pressing my luck i'm gonna talk yeah, about this man this man's name is, let's look up his name real quick, because he is a man worthy of note. Michael Larson yeah. is his name. That's right. I already pulled his, I culled the, the library in my brain. Michael Larson is a man who is on a game show who some may remember. Um, it, it has been recreated recently as a show named after a word from the show called Whammies or something like that, Whammy. But it was called Press No Whammies, no Whammies, no Whammies. And that's, that's the phrase you may remember from the show if you remember the show. If you don't remember the show, it's a show that where um, I, I, ostensibly a person is going to have a number of spins, chances to press a button to try to win a prize that is randomly selected on a board that ideally is randomly selected, but is actually on a rotation in this scenario, and that's how this man cracked it. So you're just going to be pressing buttons. You have a number of chances. You can spin. You can pass your chances to the next player, or you can continue to take the remaining spins with the odds that you may lose everything. And that's basically the whole game. It starts off by answering a trivia question to take off the lead, and then there you go. Now, uh, before I get into the rest of it, Kathy, because I could recount the entire thing, is there anything you want to say? Uh, about press your luck do you have any memories of watching press your luck uh, growing up was that uh, in your range to even see this uh this event happened in 1984 the show yeah, wasn't no, over until was, 1988 yeah no i was um i think i probably saw it first um probably as a child but i was probably too young for it to really register um okay. i think the first time that i ever 
really was aware of its existence was in the early days of cable when the game show network ah. was a thing. And the game show network would have not just like their own new content, which I, I'm sure wasn't called that back then. Um, but they'd also show reruns of shit like press your luck. And I also remember that at some point, maybe on a VH one, something or another, some dumb shit like that. I had seen a long time ago, a, a story of the guy who beat press your luck. Uh-huh. Um, and like how he did it and like the whole deal because okay. he didn't really cheat the system no. he he did everything by the rules and that's why they had to give him everything he wanted change the entire yeah that, because he didn't cheat he just was they, they created an they imperfect just created, game yeah they just did it created a poor game or, or an easy, it, to someone who is really paying attention Correct. an easily crackable game and that's what he did so when he went on the show so this man michael larson he, he did indeed crack the show, and I'll get to how he did that in just a minute. This documentary was created in 2003, and he had already passed away by then. However, the documentary did include the participation of the host of the show from 1984 and the two people that were technically competing against him on the show. However, they didn't know at the time that they weren't even really competing against him because he had himself learned how to control the show. And so this man, Michael Larson, he was driving an ice cream truck for about 10 years, uh, he was tired of it. He took a summer off, and he watched six months straight with used with the help of VHS and recording copies and stuff and five different TVs. He watched all of Press Your Luck over and over and over and over again and figured out how the pattern on the board worked, essentially. He was able to, and this is not an easy task, he was memorizing multiple patterns at the same time. Um, he was memorizing the pattern around the outside of the board how the prizes changed and the way that the whammies worked so that he was able to determine in three to five different layers of strategy at the same time, he had to pick the correct slot, which was only two spaces on the board that didn't get whammies, which he was able to figure out pretty quickly, I assume. But the other thing was he had to figure out the pattern of the way that the marker moves around the screen, which appears random at the speed that it moves. But if you watch closely and they train you through the documentary, um, how it works and it's clearly not random at all and very predictable in fact they get one of the other contestants with only a little bit of practice to do exactly what michael did they just kind of tell him what he did and mm-hmm. if you he was able to recognize the light patterns just as easily as as uh as uh, michael and uh so the difference of course being that that guy or that person was told what the pattern exactly. is whereas this guy actually was the dude who figured it out kind yeah. of on his own which is the which is again is like the real critical step that also he wasn't just like some super genius yes he put time and effort into it which i think is also i i want to point out kind of these critical things because i i feel also like in jeopardy they talked about that that way about like ken jennings like being a super genius and again not trying to discount that i'm sure he was on some degree but he put a lot of work into all of that shit yes studied a bunch of shit yes and apparently there's also like quote-unquote strategies around the fucking clicker button and shit yes i don't i don't know any of that shit but apparently they want to press it as fast as possible forums before it's even available and shit yeah Yeah, Uh, there's there's a i used to be part of i don't know how I sneak my way in, but I used to be a All part. Dot Jeopardy dot nerd dot obsessive. Right? I used to be a member of a Facebook group for previous Jeopardy contestants. Actually, I was never a Je- previous Jeopardy contestant, but I weaselled my way into the group. And uh, there's a few people that we know on Twitter uh, who have been on um, on the program. And 
I've always wanted to ask them if they're in that Facebook. I'm not yet I'm on. I mean, I'm on Facebook perfunctorily at this point, just to like log into my Oculus, basically. Um, but I, I'd like to know, uh, or whatever that's called now. I'd like to know, um, like, what goes on in there. What are the real strat, the game strategies? Like, what are they talking about? Like, what are they? <laughs> are they talking about Ken Jennings and how they don't want him to be the host? Or are they talking about like, I was on the show, you know, in the button change since the last time I was on the show? Or you know, I'd like to know. I feel like it's more that. At least I would hope so. Or yeah. like, oh, please note that, like, potpourri doesn't come up as often anymore. Yeah. New categories we haven't seen before indicate trends, right? Like, new types of questions, uh, right? Like, I was watching um, Jeopardy a lot at the beginning of the year, uh, just kind of out of a habit because I just uh, had started watching Hulu's live TV again. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's on there. And we were watching that. And uh, there was a lot of questions in January about uh, the borders and, and regions and, and, and political situations between Russia and Ukraine at the time. Like this was before that any of that happened. And they kept any time a question like that came up, which was four or five times in that like week span, uh, it said like previously recorded in January, like to make sure that you didn't know. And, and that happened with such frequency that it was like one of the researchers must have just been like, here, someone, this would be fun if people knew this knowledge before like something went hot. I don't know. Cause it was like the, mm -hmm. the specificity of the questions was like, what's the capital of Ukraine? Like, what is this yeah. border region? The, uh, the Donbass, they asked about the Donbass specifically. And I was like, Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So we're getting, we're, we're, we're going down. I'm not going to say the rabbit hole. No, no, we're not. That's the end of that. So. <laughs> Jayanon. For Jeopardy. Yeah, exactly. The real truth. No, um, I just I just imagine that. Uh, please, I hope no one listening takes us seriously on please. that one. Yeah, I'm like, not, I'm like not, not actually diving down a hole. I did predict everything happening. but being serious, but that's. Neither you should be serious about yes. the stupid things. And just because I read a bunch of things in November and predicted everything that was going to happen doesn't mean anything. It just means I'm a good little reader, and it means that I had a I picked a wild chance that became true. That's all that means. Uh, so tell me, tell me, Kathy, about the end of the Lego book that you were reading. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, um, first of all, um, it goes from talking about Legos to um well uh kind of just talking about the frequency of the right again kept talking about the frequency of legos but how what that also meant was that um as fishermen were pulling them up it also meant that um just that plastic and plastic was becoming more and more ubiquitous right like as they're hunting for these things it's not just the legos that are washing up on shore but just all kind of, so like so for example here's let me turn off my blurry thing because i'm just here and here i'm here in a georgia o'keefe painting in my virtual background oh yes you know but here i am in my real home which is you know <clears throat> nothing like georgia o'keefe's home at all georgia o'keefe was a fan story. of backpacks especially yeah right so oh wow found in one beach clean 32 shoes 1,097 plastic bottle fragments, 211 strips of synthetic tire rubber, 74 sets of sunglasses, snorkeling masks, and goggles, 
and 158 bits of broken fisherman's net float. Yeah, and you'll see that a lot here in because we do a lot of uh, local estuary fishing, I guess you would call it, with uh, nets and you know traps and stuff. And you'll see a lot of ghost nets here. And it is your duty as a boater in the area to grab those whenever you see it, just a float in the middle of the water. You're supposed to pull it up. So no one does, here, but. here I'm gonna read you one of maybe the most ironic and heartbreaking and yet funny moments of the book. Mm-hmm. So uh, the author then continues to talk about not just the, the the sinking of cargo ships, but also just the sinking of any kind of anything in the sea. Going back to you know the Spanish-American War, and and, and here they're talking about a war warship uh that sank in 1758 okay and you had all of these archaeologists who were going down to this shipwreck from 1758 and they're doing all their studies and what are we gonna find and they find uh gunpowder barrels and hourglasses and a bottle of rum right like just real fucking you know just real kind of like, like fantasy yeah. pirate little kid. The gizmos and doodads shit. of Ariel's collection, yeah. Right, exactly, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it sounds beautiful. But they also found two pieces of Lego. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the wreck site was, yeah, the wreck site was initially excavated first in the 1980s, <laughs> then again in the 1990s. And then they returned in 2018. After wow. the original excavations, the trenches were allowed to fill in naturally. So any rubbish rolling around in the ocean depths, such as drink cans, plastic waste, and a few Lego bricks, ended up sealed alongside the wreck for almost 30 years. Wow. So once once these archaeologists pull up these bits of Lego, <laughs> they now call the preeminent Lego Lego oceanographer, and they ask her, "Hey, are these pieces of Lego from your Lego ship?" And she goes, "No, they are not." What? No yeah, way! Right? That's yes. the best. That's the best yes. part. Holy Plot shit! Twist. Hold on. The better part is that one of these Lego pieces had the imprint of shell oil on it because it was part of like a gas station oh i love that yeah because like a danish royal danish or royal dutch shell is the same company or same country where legos come from right denmark or netherlands there you go i don't know that's the company they would go with i love it that's incredible so they were like well then how did that get there and so Upon further study, they dis- they discovered that many, many bricks found in the ocean also dated back to the 70s and 80s. Oh. And that uh, Lego bricks uh, studied by scientists made of the, the hard plastic are so tough, they are thought to survive in the ocean anywhere between 100 and 1,300 years. And according to homeowner insurance companies who have studied the amount of lego that gets flushed down toilets 
They believe that nearly two and a half million Lego bricks have been flushed by children down the toilet since their, I guess, invention. Because apparently, according to homeowners insurance, Lego in the toilet is a very common complaint by parents and homeowner, uh, homeowners, homeowners, yeah. parent homeowners. Wow. That's wild. Incredible. Wild. Yeah, because actually putting, uh, getting Lego in your uh, drains, like, you know, I mean, I speak with a little bit of experience here with the plumbing world. Um, inside of pipes get gross. And they get yeah. lined with all kinds of stuff. So it's not just like a total tube where everything's going down. Anything that goes down there that isn't like destroyable by water eventually will just stay there if it gets lodged in a spot, especially if the inside, especially any kind of metal pipes, the inside gets all gross and corroded. So um, they eventually, yeah. in a later part of the book, go on to create like a timeline of some of the oldest plastic items that they have found. They detail their Facebook group where beachcombers will often post, hey, I found some weird doodad. Does anybody know what this is? And someone will be like, yeah, that's a, that's a Monopoly house from 1950 when they were still made without roofs or some shit. And nerds will just go in there and be like, oh, yeah, that's a discontinued type of toothpaste brush. Yeah. Because it's uh, Yeah, there's a collector. Wild. There's wild. a collector. Is it is it fascinating to think that there's a collector for everything and that everything that you have had is probably in someone's collection of, like, um, I guess I was thinking about this. Um, hmm. How do I approach it? No, there is a, I mean, there is a collector for everything, right? Yeah. There's, there's someone who collects only, uh, you know, like, like milk bottle caps. I mean, I feel like that's even why pogs became popular. Yeah. I mean, not go. just stamps, rocks, but like someone right now is collecting every bit of Hobbit paraphernalia. Yeah. Or that there's that really great, um, that's, a, that's a great way to, to talk about it. There's a really, um, good Twitter, uh, account called, uh, opening night merch i think that's what it's called um and it's all about all the merch that comes from like a movie opening that would be is like lost to time and like the strangest movies you know like from like the 90s and 80s and stuff like that and um it's all just pictures of what is it like Here, let me pull it up. jackets fanny packs yes. water bottles there you go and there it's I all it's all it branded now. with like the most outrageous a lot of this stuff is like it's just, you know pictures from ebay and stuff so it's pretty good I highly recommend looking that up because it's like a Planet Hollywood fanny pack or like, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, dumb, a dumb and dumber like coffee mug for, for like meant mm -hmm. for the staff, basically. Like it's, it's all great stuff. I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of that account. Um, so I remember um, <coughs> I remember someone I knew had a um, it was like a promo item for Fargo when Fargo Ooh. came out. And it was a snow globe. And yeah. in the snow globe were, was um, the two bodies at the end in the snow with the fucking suitcase, the suitcase and the blood. And when you shook it, it was just snowing on them. Oh, I love that. It was fucking that. sick as fuck. I'd do anything to have one. I lost I my mind. <laughs> I, I had never seen Fargo until the TV show came out. And uh, the first when the first season came out, yeah, I know it was a total blind spot. And uh, and I remember like I so I had just watched the movie, and when the show the final end of the first season got around to like showing like the briefcase and how that all tied in, I was like having like 
such a such a moment such a uh that show is excellent and hey you can't spoil it because every season's uh, pretty much different so hey you I don't you it. don't know who just found the briefcase i didn't tell you no um no, what briefcase there's no briefcase there's no briefcase you've never it's, seen it's, the movie fargo all... yeah no you know we're here here's where we're gonna mash up the the whole deal where when you open the fargo suitcase you know what it is it's that golden light from the pulp fiction oh, suitcase exactly or it could be the suitcase from falling down which contains only an apple and a banana if i recall correctly really that's great oh my god have you, have you ever seen falling down absolutely yeah, yeah michael uh, michael uh what's his name Mike, yeah yeah michael douglas douglas m doug yeah. yeah wow love what him. a great film by the way love yeah that i would love to so revisit much. that that's something i could watch like this week or something and be like mm -hmm. that would be in tune for me um, um i also feel like there's something critical about that film right now when we talk about like weird vigilantism and people going off on their own to defend whatever fucking concepts they have going on of themselves as patriots i say this because again like not oh. just as the january 6th shit popping off and the donald trump search warrant shit popping mm -hmm. off right like uh you have all this weird shit going on like you know that person who uh drove into the capitol barricades and apparently suicided by cop i did I not even see that one. Oh well because so i was i was at the airport on sunday coming back and i got a message from uh someone who was thankfully keeping an eye on the sky for me and like delays and things like that and said hey did you hear that someone uh someone just caused like a scare at the las vegas airport i don't know if you heard about that no but but there was like a scare at the las vegas airport on sunday like sunday morning because uh someone was spotted with a gun and or thought they was i guess someone thought they spotted a gun and it created like a panic at the fucking las vegas airport and this led, of course, to massive delays at the Las Vegas airport and therefore delays on associated flights and things of that sort. Mm -hmm. Sucks, right? Yeah. Um, but I, as I'm, like, getting ready to go to the airport, I get a text from someone saying, hey, did you hear about this? You know, be aware since you're traveling today. And then I went and looked at the news, and I saw that somebody else had, like, done something at the Capitol building, at the U.S. Capitol, like, rammed into, like, a... Uh, you know one of those security walls and shit like it's just everyone's i don't know nuts yeah. nuts right but it feels to me like it it's uh like falling down has some lessons for us somewhere somewhere along the way i feel like in be, in, something... i'll tell you what those two scenes that are connected and falling down in pulp fiction the like hidden nazi gun shop like uh as a scene uh, which one of those came first? One was 1996 Pulp Fiction, and then Falling Down was what 1995. Four. Yeah, I think Falling Down. Was Is that like did that was that inspired by like a story in L.A. or something? Was that like a real story that like was turned into like a couple scenes in two different movies that were very similar? Or yeah, Falling Down is 93. Oh, okay. So maybe that was inspired by Falling Down scenario. Then. Pulp Fiction 94. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh. I don't know. I mean, I, but I suppose like the trope of the those sets are like almost the same neon, set. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, but I, but it also feels like it's the same. It's I wonder where the trope comes from, right? That, because it's also yeah. the fucking antique 
gun shop on The Simpsons, too, has a little bit of that vibe. They never come out and say it, I don't think, but it's always got that little vibe to it. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, um... Yeah. Something real Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver about those characters, you yes. know? Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I could watch that, too. Um, well, because, you know, yeah, because he's going off about, you know, how there's, uh, what, like, there's all this degeneracy. Degeneracy is his this, word. Right? Is that the, that's the word he uses, He uses right? degeneracy, which I don't even, well, it's supposed to be somewhat nonspecific, I guess. Because he's kind of mad at he's a, well, he's falling he's, down. He's, he's mad at society, yeah. right? But like you know, but same thing. You know, <clears> it's <throat> all the same fucking thing. It's all this anti. It, it's all these antisocial, right? Misanthropic dipshits who decide to go on. Could, could some you make kind of a falling? Violent response could you make that. falling down now? Could you make if let's say maybe you could make it now because it existed and so they're saying it's a reference to a previous film. But let's say it didn't exist. Could you make a movie called Falling Down with that setting in today's world? Starring, uh, I don't know, Kevin Bacon or something like that? The only reason I'll say no is because Falling Down, when it came out, felt like a fantasy. Yeah, it was before uh, what, everything. What, 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 you know, it was like, ooh, what, what a, that must be what people in that mindset go through. And like, it was like, I feel like what the movie was saying, like, yeah, that's, so what are you doing about it? Yeah. yeah. And the answer was, I guess, nothing. Right? Yeah. Because it's, it's not like... I don't know we're the other it, people you know? in line waiting for our McMuffin. Like, we're the other people standing next to him at the beginning, basically. That's right. Yeah, That's we're right. those people. We're the people in traffic next to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I've... I've, I've, uh, I, I've still come away with this, which is like, uh, you know, I still kind of believe that it's our... It's our local community that will save us because it's like, I, I think that's just kind of how we have to kind of get back to like putting our attention into our lives. Yes. Like our immediate community around us is going to be what keeps us going. Yes. Because um, yeah. if, if the supply chain really falls apart and I really can't just make a sheen order anymore, then what the fuck can I do? You know? So yeah. I feel like uh, we all kind of got that wake up call and, um, I don't know. I feel like we're either doing something about it or we're not. And I don't mean doing something about it the way Michael Douglas is doing something about it. We yes. see that like that's not working either, right? right. Like, yeah. so what do you do? And what do you do to get someone like Michael Douglas to not do that? I think you have to talk to people like Michael Douglas in that scenario. And uh, well, not him specifically, but maybe not someone I at the like, edge. But you have to yeah. talk to people before they become that Michael Douglas. You have to not. You can't. I feel like somewhere along the line, someone just needed to be like, yo, dude, you look like you're having a rough day. Why don't we just stop and have a fucking have a beer? beer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's rough, but it's rough for you. It's rough for the dude. See, and I think that's the other thing that kind of upsets me is that like falling down gets seen as like, I don't know, like maybe he's like some kind of like anti hero or a hero guy, like the Tyler Durden guy or whatever. Right. Yeah. But it's like the real story is also like, if your neighbor is like that, you're because you're the guy in the car next to him too, right? Maybe the story is like we all need to just be like, you know what? I think we all need to fucking pause and take a beer or something or whatever. Yeah. Go outside, take a walk, touch grass, whatever the power the fuck you want to describe it, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's like, 
some, something else is going on here. And, you know, falling down is, I think, very much so a testament to, like, alienation of Los Angeles. One of the few movies, by the way, that I think actually portrays Los Angeles as a Los Angeles. You know, that's actually, I was just going to ask you that, um, was because that movie is set in Los Angeles, very much so, opening shots, all that stuff. Um, are there any other shows that you think portray, because I was thinking of the, the gun shops and stuff like that. Is there any other show, a movie that you think portrays Los Angeles in that, in an accurate like pedestrian kind of way it's not like glamorous nothing about what he, he's just a guy that's on a rant like a having the worst day um i think that's kind of hard okay. i i mean i, I I'm, I'm thinking about like uh, it's funny because I immediately start thinking about every film that's in L.A. plays itself, you know? Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that's, that You told me about that in the very first episode. I should, um... Yeah. Let me, let me make a little note of that here. Yeah, but, like, I mean, so so the... For our audience, in case they're not familiar with it either, I'll just kind of summarize it real fast. Because um, it's like a documentary, essentially. Yeah. But it's more like an... It's like an artistic study. It's not really like a documentary, exactly. It's... It's taking a bunch of films and films that both say that they're taking place in Los Angeles, but also films that are filmed in Los Angeles, but are being portrayed as something else. So it's filmed at like MacArthur Park, but they're saying it's Chicago, which obviously how could it be, right? But um, so he, this, this documentarian guy, filmmaker, who's apparently also a film professor somewhere at CalArts, he says, I'm going to just examine these films for how they portray L.A. and how they use Los Angeles as a set. And um, that's basically the thesis. But um, th it's, of course, very interesting because he's talking about the city of Los Angeles itself. I don't feel like he's really talking about movies. Um, but when I think about some of the movies that are in there that I have seen that I think uh, portray L.A. like a real city, I would say it's probably Killer of Sheep. Uh, I think it's Mike Burnett. I I neglect his first name. Um, I know it's Burnett something. Um, something Burnett, rather. Uh, Killer of Sheep was about a, uh, a gentleman who works at a uh, slaughterhouse. And he's just a working class guy. And it kind of just portrays his, his life in Los Angeles. It feels very cinema verite and documentary-like, but it's not. Um, I think it's like an actual work of fiction um it's just well filmed and then the other one which i think is a documentary is uh uh the exiles which is about a pair of uh native individuals who have left uh their reservation which i recall correctly is in oklahoma and they have made a life for themselves in the big city of los angeles and they're talking about what it's like to leave this like close-knit community that they've always lived in and now adjust to life in the big city of LA. So I would say those two movies, Killer of Sheep and The Exiles, both of which get featured in LA Plays itself. But, awesome. Um, I don't know that I can think of other films that portray it that way. Everything else feels still exaggerated, right? Like Heat feels somewhat exaggerated. That's... Point Break feels exaggerated. Yeah, that might um, as well be in space. Like... Right, yeah. <laughs> 
they just happen to be in LA because yeah. LA is right there, right? But right. they could have really filmed that anywhere, and it's just as ridiculous, I think. It's funny but to think about um, LA being LA used as a convenient set because it's just like we'll set in LA because here that's where we are, I guess. Mm-hmm. Save some money. Chinatown is pretty accurate, I'd say. I mean, and not just well, that's, you know, not uh, just because it was portraying like real events of the Mulholland Reservoir and shit back then, but like. Uh, I I, th- I feel like it was capturing a, a sense of what LA was like back then. I don't think that those Raymond Chandler stories are exactly full of shit. I don't think those are exactly works of fiction. You know. I also thought that too, because um, I I actually came to discover all of that stuff. Sadly, well, not sadly. That's just my way of discovering it. I discovered it through video games when I was playing LA Noir, which is basically Chinatown, the game. Um, it's excellent. And um, but it taught me about like Raymond Chandler, and, uh, his whole deal. And um, what's that one that uh, got? Uh, oh God, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say the guy from Ocean's Eleven. Um, <laughs> the the um, you're gonna say Steven Soderbergh. The Philip Marlowe. The Philip Marlowe um, detective yeah, one. Raymond. Is that him? Yeah, that's that's Raymond Chandler. Okay. Yeah. I love that one. But that's there's, but there's the there's, long there's, goodbye. Uh, I think that's Elmore Cleaver. I think is also does. Uh, a bunch of that is named. No, I'm getting all, all my names. Maybe someone at home can hear what I'm doing. <laughs> I recognized it immediately because I used to have that grinder. <laughs> oh, I liked right. it because it has the grooves on it. So like, even when it gets stuck a little, you can really like get a good grip <laughs> on it. You can't do that with the smooth walled grinders. That's impossible. And I have little tiny weak hands. Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard. Yeah, not El. I'm confused. Just confusing Eldritch Cleaver with Elmore Leonard. That's that's very upsetting on my part. So anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, here I am. Okay, so I uh, trying to remember the other things I watched. There was a clip that I wanted to play for you. I remember it was eight minutes and fourteen seconds into. Let me think for a second here. <sighs> Eight minutes and 14 seconds. What was it into? It was an episode of... Oh, my God. There was, like, the prices... Oh, I watched this episode. <laughs> there's, there's a really great one. This isn't even a clip yeah. to play or anything. But Vanna White was on uh, this episode of Prices, right? It was one of the, like, autoplays that came up after I watched that documentary, which, by the way, is on uh, it's on YouTube. Okay. Um... Hannah White was on an episode of Price is Right, and she never got off contestants' row because she gave like the weirdest bids imaginable. None of she never used one dollar. Like three times she could have won with a dollar, and she, she never did it. And she even had opportunity because she was the last bidder. But um, I I don't know. She didn't want to meet Bob, I guess. <laughs> oh my God! So uh, this reminds me that uh, I mean I feel like I've always been into to biographies, documentaries, things of that sort. I know that when I was in high school, I would always, you know, cruise the biography section of my local library. It was one of my favorite spots. And I remember getting, um, uh, let me see. I I don't remember the author's name, but it's called, I think it was called I'm with the band. Yeah, I'm with the band, Confessions of a Groupie. Um, oh, this kind of reminds me Pam- of Almost Famous. Yeah, by Pamela DeBar. She was, 
Over the uh, over the next ten years, she had affairs with Mick Jagger, Jimmy Page, Keith Moon. I'm just reading off the Amazon blurb. Uh, Waylon Jennings, Chris Hillman, Noel Redding, Jim Morrison, among others, traveled with Led Zeppelin, lived with Don Johnson, turned down a date with Elvis. <laughs> um, was part of the GTOs, a girl group produced by Frank Zappa. But oh, I remember okay. reading this book. I remember reading this book okay. um, back when I was in high school. And okay. I remember she talked about being at some like wild orgy party and being incredibly shocked to see none other than one Vanna White at this party. And really? this story is like etched into my memory okay. because there I was as like a teen, right? Like, I mean, I was like into rock and roll and shit by then. Like, I wasn't like shocked. I wasn't like clutching my pearls reading her story. I was just like, oh, let's see what this chick has to say. Like, I mean, I, how could that title not have jumped out at me from the library bookshelves, right? Because it was at the library where I got this book. And, uh, you know, my parents watched Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. Vanna White was like, it was like Reader's Digest as far as I was concerned. And so I remember that story being particularly etched in there and going, oh, I'm, I'm judging a book by its cover. That's wrong of me. I, I didn't, I wasn't shocked about Vanna White. You know, I was just more shocked at myself that how dare I have fallen into that pigeonhole though in retrospect right that was i guess that's the image vanna wanted us to see too right like she still holds the record she still holds the record for longest uh uh, serving game show host or something like that or she holds holds the record or was she (coughs) pre-pat uh she might have been before pat actually wow but there was other there was multiple i think at the beginning of the show there might have been multiple uh like card ladies or whatever they call them i don't know huh. yeah yeah um either way i i, I yeah i'm a big fan of that show just because of word puzzles i've always been yeah. a big fan of word puzzles and uh, that is always a show that we would watch just because my family would try to solve the word puzzles while we were eating dinner two loins in the fountain <laughs> oh, i'm trying to i'm thinking of the south park Couldn't one resist. <laughs> <laughs> and it's remaining completely silent yeah it's okay what's that say about south park Mm-hmm. It says mm-hmm. something about South Park. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. There was a moment about a year, uh, yeah, about a year ago, that I started writing uh, some t- like a test script with someone. Uh, the last guy who wrote for something awful. We were writing like a test script for um, the batch of twenty movies that uh, South Park paid Comedy Central or Comedy whatever. This, uh, Comedy mm-hmm. Central paid mm-hmm. South Park Studios to make twenty movies on this like massive contract that was going to go for like seven or eight years or something like that yes. and we wrote a test script and we put it together it still exists out there somewhere on the internet if you want to go look it up um i did link to it once if you want to find it <laughs> you can read my writing it's bad i'm, sure I'm much more suited bad. for something like i'm sure it's wonderful i'm much more suited <laughs> for something like this uh, which is this so. yeah no this is this is I, I love to riff still love to riff oh yeah riffing forever Kathy, we're just gonna keep doing it until we don't, until someone pays us, basically. That's true, and so that's like a threat, right? But that's like also our promise to you all that mm-hmm. like we will continue to do this mm-hmm. until someone starts paying us to I'm do not this. Stop. At which would yeah, at which point you know, that then we just do this in a completely different way, you know. What's the what's the tweet format? Um, these. These guys will literally start a podcast instead of 
therapy like going to therapy yeah. <laughs> like the well, like, again, right? So, like, I, I mean, I, I will say this as myself, mm -hmm. as someone who uh, l likes to live at the intersection of not just, uh, you know, just dismantling patriarchy, mm -hmm. being pro-feminism, pro-mental health, and taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. the, the reality is, is that, like, so, for example, I think I have a pretty good health plan. But you know what just happened to me recently? What's that, Kathy? Our, our health provider decided to pull out of practice of the state of New Mexico. So for I've been without health insurance now for about, like, a month, and my new health insurance isn't going to kick in until, like, September. But what this also means, right, that, like, I, I am one of the lucky few mm -hmm. to have health care insurance, and I still have you know like on my previous plan no mental health co-pays i think on the new one now i do like you know i i just mean like the process of having to go through having a therapist getting a therapist losing a therapist having to find a new therapist having to do paperwork all over again <laughs> and this is even under the best case scenario of america where you have health insurance yeah, and still have co-pays for it like i'm always mad when people are like and eh, people will like literally find a therapy surrogate instead of go to therapy mm -hmm. and it's like bitch yep. i don't see you fucking arguing for medicare for all so until yeah. like we have that i'm not going to be upset at someone for quote unquote not going to therapy now if even under the worst of circumstances, people can access it, then I hope they're able to get something. But yeah, I'm also not going to be mad. Like people will literally start a knitting circle instead go to therapy. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that sounds like therapy actually. So also like how many people have that stuff like shoved in their face who literally are going to therapy too. It's like also correct. It's so, it's such a, that, that also, phrase, how many that tweet awful format, therapists out there? Yeah, exactly. Like, who aren't helping mm -hmm. or making things worse. You can't just mm -hmm. immediately judge that just by being like, oh, I'm in this and so it's better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's the meme, yeah, no, that's the meme format at work that makes people think things and write things. And, yeah. No, it's very neoliberal. I'm very. I'm, I, I just want to also just critique that from just that point of view. This idea that somehow if you pay for a good or a service, that makes you better than. And I'm very upset about that. I that's, am. Thank you. Let's fuck thank that you for shit. saying. It. I've never had the words to say it. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Yeah. No. Just no. I, I'm. I'm here for this because I. I came out fired up out of the women's convention because it was just you know like a. You know, God bless my my sisters everywhere, but they got some work to do. And, you know, I'm I'm here to uh, just remind them that it's not that simple. We, we don't get to be neoliberal and reproduce uh, our shit all mm -hmm. the time. No, we don't get to do that. Yeah. We're, if we're doing this, we're doing this right. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's no. the what's the expression there? Uh, lead by example. Right. We oh, have to man. live. We have yeah. to live our what we believe. That's right. That is that is and that is really hard to do. And so um, it's extremely think, hard to do. I think, you know, as, as, as I get ready to close out, we get ready to close out. Mm -hmm. I just urge everyone that I believe to my core again, not only am I hopeful, but I believe that our best work, if, if people are like I'm someone asked me this, actually, if I'm new to the movement and I don't know where to start, what do I do? Mm -hmm. and, and someone asked me, what is my answer to that? My answer is still look inside yourself the work that you have to do for the movement is all within you have to get rid of the cop in your own head that is the best thing anybody can do so what does that mean you you think you listen you read you keep an open mind and most of all you question your own goddamn self most of all that yes. is where i think people should start yes that is reality that is where i think reality is it is not the questioning of the external so much as the questioning of the internal who am i in the world 
I am surrounded by as I see it because me, I can control me. So I'm a control me. I love that. That's a uh, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna clip that out. I'm gonna do with one of those clipping out things as they as they clip. Make a make a little clickable video that won't autoplay for people. Unless hey, can, can you can you put Clippy on there and can <laughs> Clippy say, "I see you're trying to make a clip." <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'll definitely make Clippy the image for the episode. I can <laughs> definitely do that part. Um, I love a Clippy. I'm hey, ready. it looks like you're trying to join the Clippy. movement for liberation. Would you like to know how to begin? Let's <laughs> put Clippy in the notes, and now I won't forget about that. And everyone at home, um, uh, let me recommend. Uh, let me recommend a book. Go ahead and take a look at um, "Drinking Up the Revolution" by James Wilt. It's a book about um, changed the way that I thought about alcohol. I used to have a very kind of, uh, you know, since I became sober, I had kind of a puritanical, black and white view of it. I've changed my mind now after reading this book. I have more of a complex view of things and don't view alcohol as the enemy anymore because it's not. Um, uh, go ahead and check it out. If you've ever uh, thought about becoming sober, are sober, or uh, would think that the alcohol industry is a problem, because that's basically what the book is about, uh, just the industry itself. And it's about uh, localizing and taking control of alcohol production, or at least in theory, as a concept. It's pretty interesting. Uh, it's definitely a book for me that I'm just looking at like, oh, this is an interesting thought. It definitely goes way too in <laughs> into detail of it being like uh, uh, something you could put into practice. But uh, it's cool. It's an interesting thought. I never really thought about alcohol in that way. And, hey, now I can look at people drinking and not think that they're garbage people. So, Brian, I would like to dive deeper into this with you at some point. Um, two thoughts immediately as you say that. Mm -hmm. One, um, as someone whose family has struggled and has kind of seen that shit firsthand oh sorry I, yeah i didn't even take your perspective in there when i was no 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 totally like uh i mean because i mean it's not like we talk about this shit all all the time you know i mean yeah. we it comes up on the timeline and of course we all talk about it i think kind of obliquely it's again kind of kind of rare sometimes that these things actually come up in direct convo you yeah. know but uh but i i appreciate it always um because like one of the things that happened after um, my brother passed away of alcoholism, um, I took a very teetotaling stance and kind of realized within myself, like, you know, this isn't a healthy relationship to alcohol either. Um, but I, you know, like, how do I work on that? How, how do, how do I also not just immediately go full reactionary on yeah. this thing? Right. And, um, also kind of thinking about these places are common places, right? Like um, where people gather and where people get to talk to each other and yeah. what other spaces are there for that. Um, and then that, I feel you like, know, like libraries, right. Are one yeah. of them, but those two under attack. Right. So um, I feel like we have a lot to talk about on this topic yeah. and I look forward to talking about yeah, it. I just, I, I just kind of started cracking it and reading it. So I'm, I'm just getting started. Yeah. On one. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's um, it's cheap on Amazon or any at your bookstore. How about that? Excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> look at look at look at the way we're look at the way capitalism makes us addicted to so many things. Look at the way that I have to react even to things that I just say like I didn't even mean. Like if I would have thought about that for an extra two seconds, I wouldn't have said Amazon. 
but I said it just like that. And I reacted to myself even saying it, which means that I don't think it's a great thing to say that, which to me is fun. That's improvement. Language that's analysis. That's improvement. It's God true. damn it. That's, that's us becoming more aware. See, that's us knowing ourselves. That is, mm-hmm. that's not us trying, you know, that's us saying, look at how I'm reacting to the environment. Yeah. See, I think that's exactly what we should be doing. We should be going, wait, why didn't I catch that earlier? That's on me. It's on yeah. me. Yeah. To stop Googling it on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> so how about this, Kathy? Let's close out with uh, what's the intro song and what's the outro song? That's the very last thing we can possibly talk about. Um, oh. Um, I feel like I need like a badass feminist anthem okay. here at the end. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of blanking on which one because I wanted to find one that's like you, um, relevant to all the shit we yeah. were talking about, and I'm kind of struggling with yeah. that. Yeah. Let me. I'm opening um, my music player real quick and just kind of taking a quick browse here. Let's see if yeah. I feel inspiration. Because hmm. I mean, I was. I felt like I was listening to a lot, but like, I mean, I immediately was like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I went to like ring my bell, but it's because I was thinking about like disco. You know, I think my my uh, my opening, I think I'm going to take uh, I'll take the intro. I'll do uh, Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. <gasps> OK, you know what? And um, I want you to do um, uh, Take Your Time, Do It Right. Um, it's a, it's a, is it a, it's the SOS band. Okay, so yeah, do the SOS bands, take your time, do it right. That's what's closing us out. Okay, it's playing right now. Phenomenal. <laughs> it's been played. Thank you, Kathy. It's playing right now. And uh, bless you, and I'll see you uh, next